Show us your friends and we'll show you your future. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights. Just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and thanks for joining me on what will be a killer episode on building positive financial habits. I'm honored to bring on my friend, Nick True, from mappedoutmoney.com and his awesome YouTube channel that goes by the same name. We discuss why we need to be more conscious of the people we associate with. The whole show us your friends and I'll show you the future means everything when applied to our finances. We go into a tiny bit of the science behind how we behave when we're around our inner circles and how that could be the deciding factor in having empty pockets or a full bank account. So let's jump right in and hang out with my buddy Nick from Mapped Out Money. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here. Ryan, I'm super pumped to be here, man. I think I think we're gonna have a good time. I know. I can't wait to talk on this. Your video that you had, which I'm obviously gonna get in the show notes here, really sparked something in me. I shared it. I know that it got a ton of views and likes and everything within the groups with the physicians. And I'm like, you know what? We gotta have you on to talk about this. Your video was you are the average of five people you spend the most time with. And I think that it was fascinating. But I was looking at it and I was like, oh, how do I actually know if that's true or not? So I want to talk a little bit about this and, and then we'll, we'll kind of just see where the conversation takes us. So let's hear about you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Sure. So that's a quote from a guy named Jim Rohn, who is a big business leader guy, does a lot of speaking on, on how to make a better life for yourself. That quote's been around for a long, long time, and it's thrown around the internet often. But the question I had was, well, is it, is it really true? And so you start digging a little bit, and this concept of um, who you surround yourself, you know, you might have heard another quote, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's another one that gets thrown around a lot. And when you start digging into it, you realize, okay, well, actually, there's a lot of famous wisdom out there by a lot of business owners, a lot of very successful people. And then there's also wisdom in religious texts. So like the Bible has a lot of concepts in Proverbs about the wise surround themselves with wise and um, only a fool surrounds himself with other fools and things like that. And that's all interesting and well and good. But then as I was looking into all this, what was really cool was I actually came across a study from the New England Journal that looked at this from a scientific perspective mm -hmm. and said, okay, well, we know that people say this, but can we actually see if it's true or not? This was like kind of my, I got jazzed up when I saw this uh, as well. And that's why I had to make the video on it. So the New England Journal did a study. This has been, a, it was a 32 year long study. And the New York Times wrote an article about this back in 2007. The study looked at 12,000 people over the course of these 32 years. And what they found and what they looked at was, will your weight gain over time and what things would contribute to that weight gain? And they looked at a ton of different increments, right? A ton of different factors. But the most interesting one to me was they found that if you had a friend, a good friend, who became obese during that time period, your odds increased 57% of also becoming obese. The article went on to talk about a couple of things. One of the things they said was this idea of mirror neurons. Now, obviously, I'm talking to a bunch of physicians. Yeah, you be guys careful probably, here. Yeah, understand this a lot more than I do. My very limited research on this. 
basically what I found was that I guess mirror neurons have something to do with how we basically mimic the people around us. And so not a lot's known about these mirror neurons, but things like yawning. You notice people say yawns are contagious. Well, there's actually some science that goes into that. If you smile, people will smile back. If you cross your arms when you're talking, people will cross their arms. We unconsciously start to mirror the people that we're around, even in conversations. And so between this concept of mirror neurons and then also this this New England Journal study, it starts looking like, wow, the people you spend time around really, really, really have an effect on you and your health. Well, this also is going to apply with your money. And so the last thing I'll say on this, this New England Journal study that I thought was interesting was this uh, study actually found that those friends have it has zero to do with physical proximity. So if your friend is, you know, 100 miles away or 200 miles away in a different city, that has absolutely nothing to do with this 57% chance of obesity. It is only based on your closeness with them. So it really has to do with emotional closeness, right? So people that you're very close to either at work, people, your friends, your spouse, the people that you're emotionally close to that you spend the most time around, if they become obese, you're 57% more likely based on this study to also become obese, which seems crazy at first. Let's take this away from weight loss or weight gain um, to finances. How could this relate to finances with respects to this closeness and proximity, which I still actually really find this fascinating that it wasn't to do with like, you're like holding the person close, right? right? It's, it's just the emotional level of that. So let's relate this to finance. So when it comes to finance, it really comes down to the same kind of habit. If you're the obese thing, it has to do with the eating habits and things like that. Well, what habits do you have in your financial life, right? How much money are you saving? How much money are you spending? How much stuff are you buying for your kids? If you're emotionally close with a friend who has kids that are similar age as your kids, and that friend is constantly buying them all kinds of stuff, do you think that you're going to be subconsciously tempted to also start buying those same types of things for your kids, especially if you've got you know, a pretty high income and you've got the money, technically, you're able to do it? It starts becoming really tempting to do it. And so that's kind of the way I think about it is it really comes down to your financial habits. If you've got friends that are big spenders, you're going to be a big spender. If you've got friends that are big savers, you're going to start being a big saver. And you can even take this back to, I know that people have talked about the millionaire next door and this idea of constantly feeling like we have to level up to keep up with the Joneses. And so if you take that idea of the millionaire next door and keeping up with the Joneses and you don't apply that to the people that you are super close to, it amplifies that you know 10 times or more when it comes to your money and the financial habits. I think about it like this. When I got out of college, I had some tight friends and we were all getting new jobs, right? And we were all, all of a sudden we had these things called 401ks. Okay, we're trying to figure out, right? How do we, how do we deal with this? How much should I be saving? Well, if you've got a friend who's like, man, I'm, uh, my company matches 6%, but you know what? I, I think it's a wise thing. So I, I'm trying to put in 8%, right? And I'm really tight with that friend. I'm going to think like, man, am I, uh, I might not be saving enough. And so it just has to do with versus if you get a bunch of friends and they just got their new salary. And so now they're just going to go buy a new car. Now you're thinking, well, dang, maybe I need to be getting a new car. I've got the salary now. And so that's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, it really rings true with physicians because they don't have a lot of financial education going through, you know, undergrad, medical school, residency. Like that's one of the reasons this podcast exists is to give them that education. And when they go look in the parking lot and it's like, oh, Beamer and Range Rover and Tesla, 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 um, you know, you start to feel like, well, 
you know, I'd like a new car. I mean, they, yep. there's a lot of delayed gratification. The audience is sitting here shaking their head. There's a ton of delayed yep. gratification. I remember just with my wife and I, there was, there was a lot of stuff that we we're like, oh, I wish we could buy a house now. I wish we could, you know, do these things, take nicer vacations and, and whatnot. And when your peers are doing that and you might not be best friends with them, but you work with them and they're in close proximity and you're talking about these things and you're seeing these things, yep. you know, that really can weigh on it. And you, you brought up the millionaire next door and Sarah and I on that show, we were talking about like the behavioral characteristics around that. It was called social indifference. Yeah. And with social indifference, it was the essential uh, keeping up with the Joneses. I know it's been said around, but what are your neighbors doing and driving? And these aren't even necessarily people that are really close to you, but you are in proximity because you see it every day. What are yep. they doing? And, you know, I think that it's just magnified um, when you look at, well, now my best friends are doing these things and all the people I went through training with are all buying homes and getting new cars and all that. It's really tough to do that. And I know you're not saying to, to just bag on all your friends and get rid of all of them, but no. it's something to be very mindful of. And that's why I think the real powerful message here that you're, you're stating is be mindful of these things because you're almost subconsciously stacking the deck against yourself um, yep. to make this a lot harder and just to be mindful. Well, and I would encourage people that are listening, if you really pause this and think about who you can probably come up with examples of this where you've literally seen this firsthand to talk about my family for just a second. Sorry, I've mom. noticed. Yeah, sorry, mom. I hope you're not listening. Uh, I, I've noticed when my mom does something, especially if it's a big life change, gets a new car, does a remodel to the kitchen, uh, starts dyeing her hair or cutting her hair in a different way, her mom, my grandmother, will do the exact same thing. I'm talking weeks later. Mom gets a new car, granny gets a new car. Mom gets a remodel, granny starts talking about how she needs a new kitchen tile. Like that just, it just becomes a thing. And it's because they're very, very emotionally close. And in addition to being physically close, you know, talking on the phone regularly and, and literally getting together. Um, speaking of that, it was also now I'm thinking about my mom. One of my mom's best friends ended up getting the exact same car my mom mm. got a couple years ago when she went and got a new one. You know, and she supposedly claimed, now this wasn't because you got this car. I just, you know... Okay, maybe not, but subconsciously, there's something else going on there. So. Well, in, in big decisions like that, your mom probably spoke with these people who are very close yep. to her and was like, "Hey, I'm yep. thinking about this, and I like yep. the, you know these features and all that." And then all of a sudden, it's like, "Oh, well, I'd like those features too." Yes, that's exactly right. It's exactly yeah. right. Blends in. So you know, money is one of the most difficult things to talk about to deal with. Not every family is involved with talking money. Some are, some aren't. And I know that you wrote something on marriage and, and money and how money is really important. You need to have a lot of communication and that, you know, it's one of the leading factors in divorce, yep. uh, which hopefully no one goes through. But statistically, like one of every two people here listening could go through that. And so we're, we're sitting here, we're, you know, we're, I'm listening to the video and now we're talking about like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, my poor wife. Like I torture her <laughs> and she's, you know, my biggest forced fan of the podcast yeah. and everything. Yep. But what I want to get at is we've talked about communication. We talked about getting financially frisky. I, we had L on and we were, we're talking about that and, and the money date and, and all these things. And, and you've written pretty extensively on this at your blog at mappedoutmoney.com. I want you to maybe talk about some of the things that you think we need to be identifying within money and, and marriage. 
Yeah. So one thing I will do before I jump right into that, Brian, I'll maybe it's helpful for the listeners to have just a quick background on Perfect. where I come from with this money and marriage conversation. So my wife and I got married really young. Uh, I was 20 at the time. Uh, she was 23. We basically had saved up enough money that we had calculated we could get married. And okay. I had one year left of college, and she was going into grad school. She was going into physical therapy school. Uh, we had 10 months until graduation, and I needed a, to get a full-time job to be able to support us. So we had saved up enough money to basically make it through those 10 months. Uh, with that combined with my intern salary, I was going to school to become an engineer at the time. Hmm. Those 10 months were ridiculously stressful, and that that's kind of where I can see, although I'm not a physician, I can empathize a little bit with some of the stress around taking on student loans and being in this situation where you're not seeing your net worth increase every month. You're seeing your net worth decrease every month. Our situation was not quite as drastic as that, but we were seeing our savings account go down every single month, and even though that was part of the plan, right, we knew that going in, it was still ridiculously stressful. That was the first year of marriage, and then uh, we took a, a nice big increase when I graduated and got a job as an engineer. Since that time, we've both changed careers and, and are off doing different things that doesn't make sense to talk about here. But I say I share that story because we did not have a lot of money back then. And then all of a sudden we did. Mm-hmm. And we had to figure out what that transition looked like. So when it comes to some core tenets for trying to make this work, the thing that I always want to start with, and this is something I know that others have talked about, is kind of the why and both getting extremely clear and on the same page when it comes to where you want to go. So one thing that Hannah and I did a lot of, especially early on, and we still do a lot of, is we were all the time talking about our dreams and our plans and what we dreamed of doing together and what we dreamed of our life looking like and making sure that what she dreamed and wanted and what I dreamed and wanted uh, were actually not in conflict with each other, right? They don't always have to be the exact same thing, but they can't be in conflict because that's going to be extremely problematic. Kind of the second thing I, I like to tell people is that marriage is a team sport. and You, you need to act like it. There's a lot of different ways to handle your, your finances. And I'm sure, Ryan, you've probably seen different ways with your different clients in terms of do we combine everything? Do we keep certain things separate? Do we have separate this, that? Like there's all kinds of different ways. That's and, one of the big contention points, really, yeah. in that is, you know, how do we combine things? Should we combine? You know, we're we're happy where it is, even though it's kind of a lot of uh, hassle. Who pays what bill? I pay utilities. I pay mortgage. You know, it goes back and forth. Yes, yes, I see it all the time. You know, there's not necessarily one right or wrong way to do some of that. But I do think that at the end of the day, your mindset better be that, hey, we're a team and we're not working against each other. So even if you have certain separate accounts, your mindset does not need to think about things separately. You're married. You're married for hopefully the rest of your life. That means you should probably figure out a way to come at this with a team mindset. Hannah and I are big fans of uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. We like to follow them a lot. And my wife's big into antiquing and so we enjoy seeing what they're doing. And we recently went through their book and kind of their story. And one of the things Chip talked about was that for the first few years of their marriage and even their business when they were working together, it felt like there was a rope and they were playing tug of war. He said, man, it, life gets a whole lot easier when you actually get on the same side of the rope and start pulling in the same direction. I liked that metaphor a lot for the way because Hannah and I have definitely, definitely been there. And so you've got to get clear on where you want to go. Ryan, one thing I'll, I'll also say here lately, I've been thinking a lot about why I care about getting good with money. This is something that I think might resonate with some of the physicians who, who are listening in, is that if they're like me, they're probably pretty serious about school. 
you got to be to go to a medical school. And they're pretty serious about their career. And they're pretty serious about what they're doing. And that's how I was, certainly when I was in engineering school. Well, long story short, I'm not working as an engineer anymore for a variety of reasons. That was something that I never thought when I went to school. I thought I was going to go to school to be an engineer and be one forever. Uh, but I got out and all of a sudden, Hannah and I, the more we talked and dreamed and planned, the things that we wanted and the things that I wanted, uh, being an engineer was not part of those. And I could have never guessed that when I was in school. And that may be the same for some of the physicians. It might not be exactly what they think 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. And so one of the things that I like to think about when it comes to getting good with money is that money gives you options. Even if you don't know what those options are going to be down the road, if you decide you want to move, right? You guys just recently moved. Mm -hmm. um, if you decide you want to move, if you decide you want to change careers, if you decide, I always thought we'd have two kids, but you know, we've had two and now what? we kind of think we'd want to have a third one. You don't know what you're going to want to do in 20 years. And if you don't get ahead with money now, then money is not going to give you options. It's going to act like a cage and keep you trapped in whatever place you don't want to be. So that's kind of the first thing I think about with marriage and money is if you guys are not on the same page, if you're not pulling on the same side of the rope, then, you're, man, you're going to have one heck of a time trying to get this thing worked out. I love that analogy. And I do catch a, a little, I don't really watch TV that much. I'm, I'm quite busy with other things. But my wife uh, does watch some of that stuff. And I actually do, really do like that show because Chip is hilarious. And I really like that analogy. I think that was a, a great one. One of the things that I see a lot with not just clients, but just physicians in general is they're always, uh, they're so smart and they're trying to figure out different ways to make money because burnout is so high in the profession. The medical field is changing. A lot of these side gigs, they're kind of kicking in, start giving out some real money. And it, it really gives them pause to going like, huh, maybe I can do this instead of medicine or go medicine part-time, make this a lot more you know, mentally stimulating if I'm only going three days a week for eight hours versus uh, 65 hours and then coming home and still doing notes and charting and all that. So I think what you've kind of hit there is that you potentially will not always be working as a physician. And the quicker that you build this strong financial foundation and have this really good mindset around money, and a lot of this stuff is behavioral. And that's yep. something I think is super underrepresented online in books and in blogs and in podcasts is how much of this really is behavioral versus, oh, here's put this in a calculator and it's done. I think that was fascinating stuff. So let's keep going with what you got. Yeah. So the next thing I like to think about is one of the problems that really got me and Hannah into trouble with money was, especially me, is I look at it and I go like, well, this is the way I think about money. This is the logical way to think about money. So uh, I don't know why she doesn't think about money that way. She's wrong, right? Or, or whatever. Why doesn't she understand that this is the way it should be? And so also recognizing that you guys are two different people. And you have different tendencies, you have different personalities, and that means you have different ways that you're going to think about and, and interact with money. One of the, the stories I share, I, I didn't used to share the story, Ryan, and then recently I've started talking about it more because it's, it's embarrassing. But Hannah and I, we had a, a really horrific honeymoon, really, really bad. Um, we pretty much fought the entire time. It was a complete disaster. It happened because... We, again, remember how I said we got married young and didn't have very much money. My parents generously gave us tickets to go on a cruise, and that was very nice, and we were very excited about that. I did not realize all of the side expenses that were going to come along with that. So we ended up getting to the cruise and not even get to get an alcoholic package, just to get a regular drink package. You were going to need to pony up a couple hundred bucks for the week. 
And then anything off the boat that's going to be fun, any kind of excursion, it's going to be money. You got to tip all these people. And so at the end of the day, we're talking about maybe three or $400, not a ton of money. At the time, it felt like a lot. But I let that freak me out to the point that I started basically just being a little, a little bitty two-year-old kid and pouting and just like complaining and being a jerk the whole time. And it was pretty terrible. Um, I look back on that and I want to kick myself. But the one good thing that came out of that experience is we learned, okay, Nick is a planner. And when things don't go according to plan, Nick freaks out. That causes a lot of stress. And almost every single money fight we have ever had, if you can really remember or if I can remember and go back, it almost always comes down to there was an unexpected thing that happened. We were not prepared for the unexpected thing that caused me to freak out and Hannah to go like, just chill. And me be like, hey, why aren't you you know, freaking out with me? This is problematic here. And then that caused high stress and caused fights. So in order to combat that, now we like to keep a, a decently sized emergency fund. And then in addition to that, in our monthly budget, we have a nice line item for just unexpected things. And we don't always spend that unexpected money. And if not, great, we can just roll it over the next month or we can put it into something else that we you know, want or is in the budget. But the nice thing is it gives me peace of mind knowing that when something random happens that's not according to plan, we've already planned for that. And so it, it helps my stress level go down a lot. So that's one example of learning at your personal tendencies and, and thinking that through. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Nick. And no one's perfect. And what I took away from that is personal finance is personal. Yes. Right? You've <laughs> got to figure out how you in your relationship with money is, right? And it's all about yep. the behaviors. You're talking to a planner. So we're, yep. we're right on the same page. Yep. I might not necessarily freak out when things go a little bit off plan. But if you ask my wife, thank God she's not on the show because she'd be like, <laughs> he freaks out. But I don't like it either. I'm right here with you. Like I have set things, but you know, we're not perfect. I am, even though I'm a planner, I am not perfect by any means. I've made plenty of mistakes yep. financially in, in my life and will continue probably to make some. Um, it's what makes us human. But as yep. we, we work through these things, learn from those mistakes. So it sounds like you definitely have learned that, you know, as you go through, if something doesn't happen, what did you do? You created a bigger emergency fund. You hold a little bit more cash. You created an extra line item in the budget. I mean, these are phenomenal ideas. I, I love them. We have done that. And I say somewhat secretly, but, uh, you know, I'm very open with my wife on what we do and how we do it. But I've put in a little bumper reserve yeah. into our budget and I call it miscellaneous. And I know things happen. Things come up yep. in our move here. We knew that we needed a new AC and a new furnace. Yep. We, you know, got cash back at close for those things. I knew yep. I needed a new water heater, cash back at yep. close. What I didn't anticipate was I bought the house from vampires and there was four lights in the whole place. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, and and all the plugs were like, you know, this is a home built in the 60s and all the plugs, oh, no. uh, you know, it didn't work. The, you'd plug it in and it'd fall out and you're like, okay, so they didn't do lamps. They must have done this by candle, which is kind of crazy. So yep. we had an unexpected ex expense of bringing out electricians and yep. being like, hey, we need actual fans with lights and uh, you know, things like that. And so that was unplanned, but you know, I had a reserve done for when we move and how we ended up saving money. And my wife and I are going to talk about our move and buying a house and, and kind of the unforeseen. So I don't want to like go into all this now, Yeah. but basically the point was I end up building reserves in there as well. And it's something that I have found that works for me. It might not work for everyone. People might not freak out if things kind of get deviated from the path a little bit, but just the way that my brain works and how I 
recognize information and what I kind of yep. plan, um, you know, it works. So personal finance is personal. When you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, these guys sound really weird about money. <laughs> you know, we might be, but there's also probably someone listening to me like, yeah, I totally get it. Right. So, and it's just how things work. So when you read things, when you listen to things, relate them back to yourself and your situation and go there. But thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you know, Ryan, and it, I don't want to all be gloom and doom about the negative aspects of your personality with money. So another thing that Hannah and I have learned about ourselves that's a positive is I think that you should use money. What I like to say is a lot of people teach you how to spend on your your needs versus your wants. I like to talk about your wants versus your really wants. And how can I make sure that when I do spend money, I'm spending it not only on what I want, but in the most effective way possible to really maximize the things that I want. And so with Hannah and I, we talk a lot about when do we love spending money the most? I actually really enjoy spending money in a way that takes a long time. This sounds weird, but like I like the anticipation of it. So if I'm going to get a new, let's say a new longboard. So I like the longboard. I like to snowboard and do things like that. If I'm going to get a new longboard, I enjoy the three to four months of researching and looking at the wheels and looking at the gauge and looking at the board and the way it cambers and what type of board do I want and what type of grip do I want. Like I love nerding out over that stuff. Going and just picking up a longboard and like the intensity of a, of a random moment isn't fun, even if the money's in the budget. Like I just like the whole experience of it. Hannah, on the other hand, loves the experience of being able to have money in the budget for those random times when all of a sudden we can get something, especially when it comes to vacations. So when we go on vacation together, we make sure we've built in enough money so that Hannah can specifically get a souvenir, something to remember the trip by, whether it's a, a hoodie, whether it's a, you know, something we sit around or whatever it is. She likes having money knowing that she's going to get to walk away with something fun. We went on a vacation to the beach. We went to a really cool longboarding shop. This was in the middle of that three months that I was researching my longboard. We found a cool longboard. I really liked it. And Hannah was like, all right, why don't you get it? You have the money. You've been saving. You already have it. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's like, it's not, I don't want it here. It's not according to plan. I, no, like I got to think, you know, I, I like the anxiety, the anticipation of it. And so that's one thing that we do. And that's a fun way, right? So what ways do you enjoy spending money and how can you maximize those moments? Uh, not just thinking about the ways that you badly interact with money. So it's both sides. Yeah. And I think that the travel thing is something to point out. So what I do in myself, like in my own finances, what I tell clients as we walk through when they have a similar goal of travel, like we love traveling, we bring our kids, we do all sorts of stuff. Every month we're pushing money automatically into a savings account that's labeled whatever our next trip is. So I'm just going to throw it out. We're going to, I don't know, Alaska. Okay. And yeah. we're going to say like Inman, Alaska family trip or Alaskan family trip, whatever it is. And we're putting money in there and we go to Alaska. And if we've got basically extra money in there, we know like, Hey, this could be spent guilt free. Like it's in our thing. Yeah. That might mean that the next trip we take might be an extra month delayed or several months or, or, or whatever it might be. But if we were are in the moment and we really want to do it, Taylor loves just the, the kind of spontaneity like, oh, let's go do yep. that. And it's, you know, before I was like, oh, man, like we didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan for this. Yep. Okay, honey. You know, happy wife. I feel like, okay, honey. And yep. I'm sitting yep. in the back thinking like, okay, what can I do? How can I move it? Like, yep. okay, next month I'll do that. You know, just yep. being a total nerd about money on it. And that's how this kind of idea was born for us. Now it's like, oh yeah, we had 4,000 in the thing and our trip's only been 2,500. Like if you want to yeah. go do a trip or an excursion or whatever for 300 and that's yeah. going to bring you happiness, let's go do it. And it makes the trip so much more fun. 
when you're yeah. able to, because sometimes you don't find that thing that you're going to spend and then you come back, you still got money. That's fine too. And that's, that's the what next I like trip. about doing it. Yep, exactly. What I like to do towards the end of the show here is go into the curbside consult. So Nick, we've talked on a lot of different aspects and I know there's some extra stuff that we probably could keep going on and on for, which has yeah. been a phenomenal show. What are some of the actionable tips that listeners can really walk away with, with regards to the concept of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and also maybe dabbling a little bit into this like marriage and money concept that we've been talking about? So with the marriage and money, hopefully you're not going to do the tips that I'm going to give you on the five people you spend the most time with, right? <laughs> so with the marriage and money, the big tip there is, hey, look, you're married to this person for life. So act like a team and you need to figure out a way to get on the same page. And that means talking about money and your future and your life together a lot. For us, I know that my wife really, really enjoys it when we go on a date to talk about money. And I know you guys have talked about money dates before as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of that. So that's what I would say there is if you guys aren't on the same page, then any other tips that I give you are not really going to be helpful because that is the foundation. As far as the average of the five people you spend the most time with, there's kind of three ways that I think about this. So step number one is you got to remove toxic people. This is the hardest part. If you have people in your life who are going out of their way to bring you down, and when you talk about getting ahead with money or doing this or doing that, and they're just poo-pooing all over that and just be like, oh, no, you can't do that, or no, that's you don't have the personality that can do that, or you, really? Y you? If you get those kinds of reactions, you got to get rid of those people. You cannot hang around them because they will bring you down. The second thing is to limit your time with stagnant people. We're doc like you guys are doctors. You're working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. You got a spouse at home. You got kids. You got family. Life is way too short to be spent around stagnant people. This doesn't mean you have to cut them out of your life or be a jerk. It just means that if people who are very comfortable with the status quo and are really comfortable doing whatever it is they do, just don't hang around them all the time. You need to separate yourself from them a little bit because they're not going to help push you forward to where you want to go. And that brings you to the last step, which is you need to increase time with people that are on the same path or on the similar path. So if you have people in your life that have similar financial goals and similar life goals as you, you need to increase your time with them. If you don't have people in your life like that, you need to find new people that you can add to your life. And, you know, used to back in the day, this would be really hard. But we live in 2018 and you're listening to this podcast right now. And the great news is that there's all kinds of new places to find new people, whether it's one of your Facebook groups, right? You run a handful of Facebook groups, join a Facebook group that Ryan runs. You're going to find similar people who are listening to this podcast who are on a similar path as you. And that's a great way to start finding new people. So that's kind of the three ways I think about it. Well, that's nice. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk. So you can go to financialresidency.com slash community, join our Facebook group. Uh, we have almost a thousand physicians and physician spouses in the group talking about money. So please join us there. Nick, when you're talking about removing toxic relationships and limiting time with complacent people and finding basically new friends to hang out with, I, I kind of thought of a few stories. So a buddy of mine, and I still call him a buddy because he's a really good guy. But it was a kind of a toxic relationship because of the relationship he had with money and his family and his spouses. And he's constantly talking bad about his spouse. He's constantly like he could never hold a budget. He could he's the one that like leverages debt to the max. And me with my like planning thing, like it, it gives me the EBGBs just thinking like when he does something, I'm like, oh, please don't do that. I had to cut him out about 90% of the time that we do it. So I didn't, I didn't cut him yeah. out completely. I couldn't do that. I've known him too long. 
but it was one of those, it gave me anxiety hanging out with him, even though he's a great guy. And it was frustrating. And I noticed that when I left hanging out with him or got off the phone with him or whatever, it put me in a pretty pissy mood for yeah. hours. And I'm the type of person that's like, I got thick skin and like, I forget things in like 20 minutes, just how my brain works. Um, my wife says probably two minutes, but you know, I had to cut him out and it was really hard to do because I've known him a long time, but yeah, it's something that's necessary. And then, you know, looking at the concept of finding new friends, I found a whole bunch of new friends when I got introduced to FinCon a couple of years ago. Yep. And that has not only been super fun because I like to nerd out on money related topics. And my wife is probably so thankful I found FinCon because now I have a whole <laughs> bunch of friends to talk to and not bug her with all this, even though I do bug her a lot with them. But finding that community, found it online. It was matched up next to the XY Planning Network conference. And it's been amazing. And we, we just had PT on who created FinCon. You know, I love what it is. And I found my, my tribe, my people there. And I think it, and it definitely has helped me with mentally, professionally, like every aspect of the life, I think it's definitely helped with. And so I, I really like that tip that you gave them. And I, and I, everyone listening, like find those people that will make you better. It's not just better financially. Yes, that'll help join the group. We'd love to have you, but there's other aspects of your life that you can find people to help you with and people that share related hobbies. You know, you like to longboard, great. I bet you you're probably in a cool group with people who know a ton about <laughs> longboarding and, and do that. And that, I mean, he's smiling. It makes him, brings him happiness, right? Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Please tell people where they can find you. I'm going to link to that really cool video that you did that I've, I've linked. If you're not in the group, you didn't see it, but I, or friends with me personally, yeah, cause I link those everywhere, but I read Nick's stuff. And I'm a finance guy and I still read his stuff because it's such a unique take on finance. So tell them, where, tell them where they can find you, Nick. Well, I appreciate that, Ryan, all the, all the kind words. Um, the easiest place to find me is mappedoutmoney.com. And then if you want to see more of my videos specifically, just search for Mapped Out Money on YouTube and you'll be able to catch me there as well. And the Alexa skill. Yeah. So if you have an Amazon Echo, I do a daily flash briefing that's quick 30 second bit and it's just called 30 second money so if you search in the alexa amazon store on your phone you'll be able to find that and add that to your flash briefing and get a little bit of dose of finance every morning on your way to work yeah and make sure to comment and like and and uh you know let nick know you're there because he's doing some phenomenal work and I, i'm a, such a fan and thanks again nick for being on the show really appreciate yeah. it and honored to have you thanks here. ryan i really appreciate coming on it was a blast Today, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site, The Physician Philosopher, titled, Why Are Docs Burning Out? And Three Ways Financial Independence Can Save Them. In it, The Physician Philosopher, or TPP for short, discusses a few reasons why physicians are burning out and gives three remedies on how financial independence can help combat feelings of being burnt out. He cites the lack of autonomy of, at work and the lack of support from administrators who enforce the rules as some of the main reasons for burnout. I'll actually add in here that, you know, incredibly high student loan debt balances, as well as mismanagement of one's personal finances, kind of act as gasoline onto that fire. So how could financial independence come to rescue? I quote, Financial independence allows for increasing autonomy over our life. Maybe we cut back to 70% or even 50%. 
Maybe we use the extra time to become human beings again and realize we have other hobbies like playing an instrument, writing, dancing, brewing beer, or playing sports. Or maybe this additional time will let us be present for the people we love. Physicians often lose their self-identity in their profession. Financial independence allows us to get back to our roots and re-examine what makes us who we are. That's pretty powerful stuff, and I think excellent content. The second reason is that it comes with less pressure to keep up with the Joneses. I quote, financial independence is part frugality and part aggressive saving. When doctors are exposed to the frugality of the financial independence community, they then feel a freedom to no longer need to keep up with Dr. Joneses. This freedom provided by financial independence allows them to avoid the catastrophic financial mistakes most doctors make when they finish training. And honestly, I can't agree more. The third is what he calls the support yourself fund. This is actually pretty interesting. The fund that helps you support yourself when others won't. There is power in saying no when someone isn't valuing you or your time. Upon achieving financial independence, it provides a certain amount of coverage that simply wasn't there when we first started training. What I really like about this article is that it isn't preaching the the second part of FIRE that we typically hear, the retire early part. It focuses on financial independence. It encourages physicians to take action and not only understand their finances, but also tries to shed some light on how understanding one's finances can free you of the financial burdens that typically plague physicians and their families. In my experience, I see how poorly managed finances provide a heavy weight or burden on physicians and just magnifies the challenges that they face at work. By listening to this podcast and hopefully reading some books or blogs by other experts in the field of finance, you are taking that first step in building a better financial foundation. Never stop learning and keep making progress every day. It's really important. The physician philosopher, TPP, thank you for an amazing article and showing that physicians, really the brighter side of fire, all puns intended, I guess, and provide a framework on why this is so important. At the end, you ask for others to join you in the cause. And I quote, it may just save a doctor's life so that they can save yours someday. That's really powerful. This is a job well done. I encourage all of you listening to go check out the article on thephysicianphilosopher.com. Nick was such an awesome person to have on for this topic. In this episode, not only does he explain the science behind building positive financial habits, but he really helps us understand the power of the unconscious. I mean... That whole show me your friends and I'll show you your financial future sure does make the ears burn, doesn't it? The mirror neurons bit and the psychology involved in why we choose to do certain things with our money really has everything to do with the influence surrounding us. Hopefully, relating to many of you, Nick also talked about his thoughts on getting better with our spouses on money and why we should be on the same side of the rope. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for my wife because I'm such a money nerd. But as Nick said it, marriage is a team sport. We also talked about why physicians opt for side gigs. Physicians in general are so smart and are always looking for other ways to put some more cash in their pockets. 
The more time that they spend building a strong foundational future, the quicker they achieve their money goals. Sounds pretty legit. Ultimately, if we're conscious about the influence around us, we can lay a financial future that either benefits us or leaves us in this type of money catastrophe. Be the person who knows what the influence is and do what you need to nurture your financial future. Over on the podcast website, financialresidency.com, I've released three free downloadable guides that should really help explain several key planning issues, and there's more to come. We just released a student loan guidebook, an ultimate guide for physician mortgages, as well as a seven-day jumpstart your financial residency, which is kind of a play off the show I did with uh, Philip Taylor, PT Money, on launch week of season two. All of these are completely free and made for all of you. So go check them out on financialresidency.com. Hey everyone, as your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I'm not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I'm glad you came here to learn and get excited about your finances. There's no purchase necessary to win, but you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your situation. And that person isn't me unless you're already a client. And then that's a totally different story. So consult an attorney, a CPA, or heck me, a fee-only financial planner to help you get on your feet the right way. Next week, we have a really fun show talking about our experience buying a home in San Diego. I bring on the boss, my better half, and we discuss what went well and what didn't. This should be a really good learning opportunity and experience for all of you. So until next time, cheers. Cheers.